The following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. All right, guys, we are wrapping up um, Family Matters. And as JB just mentioned for us, it is very, very true. It's not just the matters of family life that we, um, that we experience day in and day out. That's not it. It's also the fact that our families matter. And they matter tremendously to our Heavenly Father. More than we could ever know. And we've had the opportunity to look specifically at some, some practical things about family. And, and, and the thing about family that, that's so interesting is, is, there is there are so many different ways of doing family. Um, it's kind of like when Larry Osborne talks about the will of God. And he says, the will of God is not a blueprint. The will of God for our lives. The, the will of God is a game plan. It's the end result that matters, and that's what God is working for. In other words, blueprints, you follow the plan to the letter, but a game plan, you just get the job accomplished. And, and, and family's a little bit like that as well. It is goal, very much goal-oriented. And it's interesting, when we tackle family and marriage, how people just tune in because it just hits so close to home, something we're right in the middle of. We really are. Um, And we do encourage you folks tonight to come and be a part. Tonight is going to be, it's just going to be a fun time. It's going to be really, really good, an opportunity to make some memories uh, with our families. Let's pray as we jump into, we wrap this up today in, in God's word with Family Matters. Lord God, we come before you this day. Father, we thank you for family. We thank you for marriage, Lord, how the day that a man and a woman leave their families and create a new family, Lord, that you bless them. It was your idea, your thought, your creation. Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is, true privilege it is, may we never forget it, to be parents. Lord, we pray that we would continue to put the, the life that takes place in the walls of our homes more and more into your hands. And Father, we pray that today as we look to legacy, what we'll leave behind one day, Lord, we pray that uh, we would follow your word, we would follow your direction. And if there's something that needs to change in the way we are living this life, that you'll make that known to us. And by your spirit, we'll be given the power to change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it was, it's been several conversations now that have taken place. The first one, I think, took place, oh goodness, Mike and Donna, I don't even know how long ago, probably a year and a half ago, maybe longer ago than that, when um, my in-laws, Dennis and Debbie Bayless, sat down, the kids with their spouses, those who were married at the time, and started talking about inheritance stuff. You talk about an awkward 
conversation. That is just the strangest, strangest conversation. Sitting there discussing with two people that you care very much about, about what's going to happen when they're dead. All right? I mean, it's just like, it's just a weird conversation. And as we're having that conversation, I won't give you all the details of how that went. And there's, it's still an ongoing thing as, as, as plans are made and all of that. And, and Donna kind of brought up the point at the last meeting because I think we were thinking a little bit short-sighted. Then we realized, Dennis and Debbie are young. I mean, they're not old. They're going to live probably quite a while unless something happens and God says, it's time for you to be done here in this world. They're going to live a while. And I was like, like I'm going to be old you know, before any of this happens. So why are we even talking about this in, our, in this way? It's going to be our children who will be making these decisions, not us. Man, I'm going to be like old and senile by then. I'm not going to even know what's going on by the time they die, you know? So we're having these discussions, and that leads to discussions in our home. And Addison and Audrey, I think it was, it might, I can't remember if it was before they were going to bed or if we were just having a discussion. And remember... Totally, it was there in the living room, Addison. And, and we're having this discussion, and Addison's like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Because we're like, well, you know, we're going to, we've got, we probably need to do a will at some point, you know, and stuff like that. And Addison's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. You mean, when you die, we get everything? I was like, not you. <laughs> Family matters. Today we're looking, yes, I've already mentioned the word in our prayer. We're talking about legacy. And I did some study of, of legacy this week. And legacy at its very at its very core, this is what legacy is. It's this what is gifted to those we leave behind. That's legacy. Every single one of us will leave something behind for our loved ones, for our families. And this is the wonderful part about that. We get to choose what gifts we bestow. We're going to take a look at three gifts. Gifts, that's a tough one to say and make it plural. We're going to look at three gifts today, specifically, that I think are hugely important for us to leave behind to our loved ones. And I'm going to tell you they're important because you know what number one is? Usually these get more important as they go. Oh my goodness. Number one, it's the Bible. It's the Bible. I'm going to tell you something. We here at Daring Christian Church believe this Bible is pretty important. All right, so we're going to start. We're going to jump right into it. Got a question for you. How do you learn? Think about this for a moment. What kind of learner are you? You're a student, your teacher, your student. Uh, you, you never, you should, we should never stop learning in this life. So, so what kind of student are you? What kind of learner? Are you a hands-on type of learner? Is, is that how you learn things? Maybe, maybe you're one of these. We all know some of these. You learn things only the hard way, okay? Got a few of those? Got a few of those? All right. Okay. Um, are you an avid note taker? I mean, if, there, if somebody's talking, the pen comes out, the notepad comes out. All right. 
And boy, you're, I mean, there's smoke flying, all right? You're writing it down. Oh, I got to remember that one. Going to write it down. Are you, do you savor being taught in the classroom or in the shop or in the pasture? Where do you do your best learning? You see, as we just try to make clear and keep in mind, each one of us is a student and each one of us is a teacher. We, ta- we looked at this very, very closely when we went through our approved series last year as we were wrapping that up about the fact that we're all teachers in this life classroom. What are we teaching? Honestly, honestly, how much are we trying to get to know the world's forever bestseller. This is it, guys. It's never going to be beat. It continues year after year worldwide to be the bestseller. How well are we trying to get to know it? You know, Moses. Yeah, Moses. That Moses from the Old Testament. The bringer of the law. The the the. The freer of Israel, the one that would come lead in the Exodus, of course, he was God's instrument used in that place. But man, we're talking about quite a guy here, all right? And Moses had something to say, he had a thing or two to say about getting God's word into the homes of the people of Israel. And I believe yet, I think the Bible still speaks into our homes as well. Turn to, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit today. First of all, turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one of those ones when we're little learning to say the books of the Bible. It's that one we never can pronounce right, all right? And there's several of those, all right? Try saying Habakkuk about 15 times really fast in a row. All right, Deuteronomy. It's near the beginning of your New Testament. It's written by Moses. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers followed up by... Deuteronomy, last one that he wrote. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 4. We say that Moses, God used Moses to bring the law. Well, there's a lot of law that they had, over 600 laws, but they were summed up in two of them, and he's going to touch on those right here, okay? Beginning with verse 4, we're going to read down through verse 9. This is what Moses said. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk... Of them, when you sit in your house, or when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I don't know if you look close. That's like all the time. Okay? All right. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this picture... It's painted a number of times by Moses in those first five books of our Old Testament called, those five books called the Torah, all right? 
he mentions this a number of times. I'm going to tell you something. The Orthodox Jews, the serious Israelites, took this very seriously, and there are those who continue to take this very seriously, and not just seriously, but literally today. I thought about throwing a picture of this up for you, but I'm just going to explain it to you a little bit. They're called, they're called tefillins, all right? Tefillins. You got that? And I hope, I mean, that's a Hebrew word. I, I listened to how to pronounce that, and they pronounce it like five different ways because the internet's always wrong, okay? So I just, the one that sounded best to me, that's the one I went with. What these tefillins are, basically this. They are small leather boxes with leather straps attached to them. You have a top you can remove from this little box, and then now in the olden days, now they use paper, but in the olden days, they use parchment. And they would write scriptures, little pieces of paper, parchment, fold them up, put them inside those little leather boxes, and then they would tie them to their foreheads. Jesus even speaks of these. He doesn't call them tefillins. What he calls them were phylacteries. All right, And in Matthew 23, when he's talking about the Pharisees and he was pronouncing his woes, to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, okay? And he says this, They do all of their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden phylacteries. In other words, boy, they they stuff them full of Scripture, and they plant those things right on their forehead. As I said, they didn't just take this seriously, they took it literally. It seems that Moses' students didn't quite get the exact point that Moses was trying to make. Now, don't get me wrong. Those who wore these knew God's word very, very well. And they had a great capacity for even quoting it, still to this day. But this is the thing. Loving God's word is not about putting it in a small box on your forehead. Moses himself even said as much. As a matter of fact, turn over just a few pages earlier to Exodus 13. It's the second book of your Bible. Exodus 13, verse 9. He's talking here about the Passover meal and how it will serve as a sign for people in the future how God led his people out of Egypt and freed them and brought them to the promised land. And he said this. He tells them how to remember this, the feast which will help them that JB talked about just for us just a little bit ago, all right? And he said this. All of this, it will serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Now you're saying, well, that sounds really similar to what you just got to reading in Deuteronomy. But if you look at that phrase, on your forehead, literally in the Hebrew, it means this. Between your eyes. Between your 
your eyes. And like, okay, so were they not putting it, like, they, they just need to get that little box and put it a little lower? No, you couldn't see them, all right? Unless it was a really, really, really little box, okay? The point was he's making is the location and what's behind this forward. Here, here's here's really, really quick science anatomy lesson for you. Let's do this together. I want you to take a couple, your fingers on your left. I'm going to use my left hand because my right hand's holding this, okay? So take whichever hand you want, take a couple of fingers and put it on your forehead. Do it right now. Some of you are not doing it. This is not scary. It's okay. I, I, I'm, I, there's not a... I almost said something about the Avengers Infinity War right there. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. All right, you put your hand right there. You know what is right behind that within a half inch of those fingers? Now you can take them down, okay? Within a fraction of an inch is your prefrontal cortex. Let me tell you a little bit about that. It's the last part of the brain tissue to mature, okay? And not only that, right there is where decisions, I want to read this right. Decisions are made to take action on thoughts. Takes place right there. Moses' point was get God's word, not out here, in there. Okay? Got a question for you. Those of you who have the privilege of being parents, whether you're very new at this, and those, kid, those kiddos are like this or maybe even like that, or those kiddos are up here, well, some of them are older and they're still kind of like down here, but that you know what I'm talking about, okay? Let me ask you a question. How many of us who have children worry about the decisions our children made? Make and will make. Any of you parents worry about that Any at all? Does that fill up any of your prayer life by chance? Do you worry about the decisions your children will make when you're gone? And you no longer have the opportunity in a physical, verbal way, to instruct and encourage and lift them up. Folks, we have to give our children a working, growing knowledge of this. This will outlive every one of us in this room. It is living. It is active. And it can transform lives. Our children will never develop a hunger for God's word without our encouragement and Example. There are some children who manage to accomplish that without the encouragement and example of their biological parents. 
But the only way it's accomplished is they find spiritual parents. Because their biological parents are not their spiritual parents. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. It's going to be right about the middle of your Bible. Proverbs chapter 6 verses 20 and 21. There's a number of different places in Proverbs that has something to say similar to this. There's a reason why Solomon, as he was trying to give advice to his son, mentioned this a number of times. Proverbs 6, 20 and 21. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your Son, daughter, listen to the teaching of mom and dad. But before we can say that to our children, we have to ask ourselves, what are we teaching them? Will our teaching survive the refining fire of God's judgment? You don't think our teaching will be judged? Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and read that. I can tell you right now, parents, if we are teaching this, it will survive. And it will have its work in our children's lives. This does not go places and come back empty. Gift number two, life. Like, well, I already gave them life. Goodness, they're here, aren't they? Well, that's not exactly the life that we're quite talking about, totally. JB was all over this last week, and man, he did a great job of challenging us when it came to speaking to the hearts of our families, of our spouses, and of our children. So I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on this, but turn to Romans chapter 10. Bounce over to the New Testament now. Romans chapter 10. We're going to read verses 14 and 15. Man, Romans 10 is powerful, folks. It's about faith that is born, and faith comes by hearing. Okay? Romans 10, 14 and 15 says this. I mean, he's just talked about that. Faith in Christ, faith in God comes by hearing. By the work of the Spirit inside. And this is what he says in verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And we take that passage of scripture and we apply it to preachers and we apply it to ministers and we apply it to missionaries. When the first place it should be applied is to us as parents. Spouses, parents, we are the preachers of our homes. 
The church is here to partner with us, not do our job. Are we preaching life into our homes? JB made it really clear last week, and I appreciated him doing so, that the decision of where to spend eternity is made within a person. And as much as sometimes we would like to, we can't make that choice for our loved ones. All we can do is influence by example and instruction. We can do everything in our power to preach the gospel in our homes. There are days our mouths will play out this role. And there are other days when actions will do the preaching. Folks. If we want to spend eternity with those closest to us, we need, we have to be preaching life in our homes. Jesus is life. Gift number two that we leave to those we leave behind is life. Gift number three is hope. There's a word. I don't know if this word is kind of a fad fad type word or not. It's infusion. Infusion. Where I got connected to this word was through archery. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know why this has become a tag word for it. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a line of accessories called fuse accessories. And then you have carbon-infused arrows. You have all of these different things. So I, I dug into this just a little bit. And I, this is what I found out about infusion. By the way, infusion has also become very much a, a name for... Uh, how do I do this? Um, for... Preppy, uh, yuppie, bars and restaurants. I mean, I typed in infusion and you would not believe the number of everything from, from coffee bars to restaurants and everything in between. Infusion, infusion, infusion. All right? Uh, I don't like that. But all right, all right, all right. Maybe it's where I live. Okay. I, I've, I haven't seen a restaurant or a bar in Coffeeville named infusion yet. Is there? Is there one? We need to <laughs> we need to kind of okay, forget that. All right, just define infusion. There are three different ways to define it. A drink, remedy or extract prepared by soaking leaves of a plant in a herb herb. I knew I was going to do that. As soon as I typed that out, I knew I was going to do that of a herb. In liquid, all right? And maybe that's where the, where the restaurant thing comes from or the bar thing comes from. Number two, the introduction of a new element or quality into something. Catch that? The introduction of a new element or quality into something. And number three, I really like this one. The slow injection of a substance into, it's a medical usage, into a vein or tissue. I, I like this word 
infusion. And it's got nothing to do with archery, I promise you. It has more to do with the slow infusion, advancement, if you will, of hope into our souls. Something that sometimes takes time. Now, don't get me wrong. Hope doesn't always advance slowly. But there are times in life when it does. I talked to you about about being a a small part of of my uncle's funeral a couple of weeks ago. Uncle Rick, um, who who died tragically in a a head-on automobile collision. 67 years old. And... At that, that funeral service, one thing became really, really clear was, was Proverbs 22.6. Now, we're not going to look out and I'll just quote it for you. Many of you know it. Um, Train up a child in the way he or she should go. And when he or she grows old, he or she will not forget it. And that was all over that funeral service. Mentioned, quoted, again and again. And I'm telling you something, there were tears shed at that funeral service. But those tears were infused with something besides salt. You understand what I'm saying here? Those tears had hope. That kind of hope takes time. It is infused into the life of our families over time. And it's that hope that takes over when sorrow leaves us nearly empty. That in itself is a slow infusion of sorts, of hope into a situation that can seem hopeless for some. But if that hope resides within a family, it always shows up. Paul and and company, Paul and Timothy and Silas, this was in the near the latter part of his ministry, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And he spent his life, after Jesus took control of his life, traveling from town to town to town to town, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at this particular time, it was later in those journeys, and he had two guys who traveled with him. One was named Silas, one was named Timothy. And they were preaching the gospel in a town called Thessalonica. You can read some about it within in the region of Berea. And you can read a little bit about that in the book of Acts. And they were in this town and they were preaching. And, and the people that kicked them out of the town before came, they, they hated this message of the gospel so much that they picked up, moved to, came to this town and kicked them out of that town too. I mean, Paul almost ended up dead. He might have ended up dead. I mean, it was, it was a bad deal. If he was dead, God raised him back up. Okay? Um, so needless to say, Paul and Silas, Timothy not so much, 
because I don't think he was there at that particular time. But they couldn't go back to Thessalonica, and they got kicked out of Thessalonica before they were ready to leave. And these new Christians there, they didn't have the opportunity to teach them everything they wanted to teach them. And because of that, Paul and his friends were worried about them in Thessalonica. As I said, Silas was able to go back because he wasn't there when they got kicked out. And when he came back, he brought word that the people of Thessalonica were a little bit worried about those who, who, who died before Jesus came back because Paul didn't have a chance to preach the whole story to them. And they're like, well, wait a minute, Jesus hasn't come back yet. You know, our uncle just died. What, what, what's going to happen to him? Is, is What about the people who die before Jesus gets back? You've got to remember, this is the first century. They're expecting Jesus to come back any day, any time. What, what, what happens to them? And, and their hope was being crushed. They didn't know what to think. This is what Paul told them to think. I'll tell you what. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. First of two letters named after these people in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul hears about this from Silas and he sends word back in the form of a letter. And this is what he writes to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 4 beginning with verse 13. We're going to read just down through verse 18. It says this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now understand, asleep, they're dead. All right? Okay. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have what? No hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Paul makes it very clear. Now Paul, when he's speaking and writing, he's writing the word of the Lord. But here he even goes on to say it. He says, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not proceed, precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words, I'm going to add a little to it, of hope. Hope changes everything. JB and I are a part of a lot of funerals. It's a part of the job. And we can tell you firsthand, hope changes everything. The gifts we leave behind. What are we going to leave? We're all going to leave some different things. That's just the way life works. Our lives look differently. Some might leave a little more in the monetary way than others. That's all right. That's not really what matters. But there are some things that matter that we better be leaving behind. This. 
the Word of God, a respect for it, a growing knowledge of it, a thirst for it in those who remain after we go. Life, eternal life in Christ Jesus. And what? You know what the best gift possibly that we can leave on the day of our funerals. Now, I'm not talking about the best gift total, all right? We've already talked about those, but you know the best thing you can leave for your family as they cry their hearts out because they miss you so much is hope that they're going to see you again. Because hope changes it all. JB recently had a conversation with, with a young man, a young dad. He's talking to me about it this week. I won't give you all the details. I'll just tell you this, that it was, it was kind of a, a unique family situation. You've got a, you've got a young man who, who had, a, had a, a stepdad who passed away. And they weren't always on the same page in life. I mean... Families blending together is a challenge. And a little bit later on life, more recently in life, he and his stepdad had come together and worked some things out, and he learned some things that he didn't know when he was younger. He, he, he had no idea, and, 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 and their bond through that conversation began to grow stronger. Well, tragically, his stepdad is gone. And this, this, this young dad sat down with JB and he said, you know what? He said, I learned some, some good things. He said, but what I've always known about my stepdad is that he's a godly man. And there's no doubt in the minds of his family that he's better, better off now. And then this young man looked at JB and said, I got to be honest with you, I don't think my kids could say that about me. I probably ought to be doing something about that. What are we leaving behind, folks? As my buddy Chuck says, one day they're going to put us all in a box and potato salad. I can see some of you right now. They're not eating potato salad at my funeral. They're not eating potato salad at my funeral, all right? I can't stand the stuff, all right? I never said I was going to eat it. What are we leaving behind? What legacy are we leaving behind?
I'm going to pray for us today. You just stay seated. Don't stand up because i got a couple other things I need to tell you in turn, ways of announcement um, before we go. But before that, I want to let you know that if there's anything that the Lord has put on your heart today about what we have looked at or maybe something completely different, I'm going to stay up here for quite a while after we're done here. If several of you come down, there will be others from our elders. JB even come down here. If the Lord's working on your heart in some way today, do not leave without doing something about it. Please. Okay. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. We thank you so much, Lord, for the legacy that your son left. And the way he changed this world with his gift and your gift, Father. Lord, we pray that you would give us the determination to leave eternal gifts behind when we leave this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.